Former Cincinnati City Councilmember Tamaya Denard is preparing to report to federal prison. In her first interview since her guilty plea and sentencing, she's telling her side of the story. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story. The moment I, I focus on, you know, what used to be and not focus on what is, is the moment that I, I fail. But here we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to greater Cincinnati. You know, my grandma said that falling down, you know, failing is not just falling down, it's falling down and staying down. I'm Stephen Albritton and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. Today on the pod, Tamaya Denard is facing 18 months in prison after pleading guilty to corruption. In her first interview since her sentencing, she talks to WLWT reporter John London about what she says happened, how she feels unfairly attacked by another public official, and how she still plans to commit to public service after she reports to serve her sentence. Here's John London. Very much appreciate being able to talk to you and hear from you, uh, you know, at, at what is... I'm sure still a difficult time mm-hmm. for you because, you know, I think back and it's, it's been three years since you were elected to council right around yeah. this time, you know, just yeah. you know, in November, it's been two weeks now since uh, the sentence in federal mm-hmm. court. So, you know, you achieved a remarkable position of trust in this community, which you undermined. And then in court, you apologized for that, uh, for letting the community down. And so I wonder how Maya, you assess all that uh, right now and how you prepare for the reality of ultimately 18 months in prison. So first, let me, let me thank you for being who you are. And the reason why I chose to do this interview is because of how you do your job. Um, You've been doing this for a long time, but you, you do your job with integrity and kindness. And I think sometimes the kindness parts gets lost. So I want to thank you first and foremost for um, being the generous that you've been. I mean, it it is a a tough role to hold as, as my grandma would say. Um, but, you know, here I am, the reality of, of 18 months is definitely set in. Um, but before I do anything else, I, I mean, I address the court, but I haven't had a chance to really, you know, talk to people who supported me. So I just want to first apologize to the people of Cincinnati, the people who put their trust in me. I made a, a poor decision, a bad decision, and uh, I just want to apologize to them first and foremost and also go a little bit further and thank the people who continue to support me. I don't really go out too often um, due to COVID, but um, when I do, when I am in public and people can see who I am, either from my voice or, you know, underneath the mask, uh, it's, it's been nothing but um, supportive um, people and a lot of thank yous, a lot of gratitude. So I just want to express that first and foremost. Not many of us are going out very many places. No. <laughs> if you're smart, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, listening to David Singleton um, talk about you in court uh, to Judge DeLotte, I was struck, uh, Tamaya, by the very rawness of that moment because, um, you know, he was blunt Mm -hmm. about all the good things that you have been about and that you have done in your lifetime, a lot of it that a lot of people don't know about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the community and how you are so much more than your current circumstances and how then he also said how disappointed he was about your actions. And you sat just a few feet away from him um, listening to that from this friend. And I'm wondering, I wondered at the time, how is Tamaya processing this? And so I want to ask you, you know, as you look back on that moment when you heard David speak to the judge about you and your life, 
What was going through your mind? How did you process that? You know, I went to City Hall to represent everybody, essentially, but to represent a certain sect of people who felt like they didn't have a voice or they had felt, you know, left behind. And um, that's who I went to represent. And that's who, you know, I disappointed the most. Uh, and that's something that I've, I, I own and I will continue to own that I will own forever, regardless of what I do next. And But I, I left the people that I told that I would represent essentially without representation now. And that's something that I'll have to live with uh, you know, forever. So it's nothing that I, I take lightly and David expressed what a lot of people feel. Uh, they feel let down and I have to own that. There's no getting around. There's no excuse for that. I have to own, you know, the disappointment that I've caused. Let me ask you two things about the case itself. You wrote a lengthy letter to uh, Judge Delot that touched on really a lot of your life, you know, mm -hmm. from the time of your, when you were a little girl all the way up uh, to now. And, um, you know, the, at the time this was all going on, you knew it was wrong. Um, and I wonder what, what caused you to do this in the first place and to put everything at risk. And, and had you not been caught, would you have continued the same way? First and foremost, let me say that ignorance of the law is, is definitely no defense. I was looking to get a loan. My problem is I got a loan from someone who had business before the city, but I wasn't in any way trying to just pocket money. I literally, if you look in the notes of the case, I even like went through the, I don't say trouble, but I went through the process of even creating a payment plan that was very doable for me. So there, but I, I contend that ignorance of the law is not an excuse. So there was no, you know, widespread, um, you know, money grab or using my seat as some sort of like ATM. It was nothing like that. I was dealing with some some tough circumstances and I approached someone um, for a loan and I should not have. And that is essentially, there. you know, my troubles and my, uh, were, were very well documented. And so it's not, um, you know, someone trying to, you know, get accumulate power. There wasn't someone, I wasn't trying to get wealthy Lord knows I wouldn't have thrown away my career uh, for $15,000. I mean, I just wouldn't have, yeah, had I known at the time it was wrong. I do understand that it was wrong now, but there was no um, intention to try to be deceptive. Let me ask you uh, one other thing about the case. Most everyone was stunned by, um, by your arrest and um, the calls for your resignation were pretty immediate as you, as you no doubt know. Um, you're saying you were forced off of counsel in a way that has not yet come to light. And uh, I wanted to ask you about how that happened. You're talking about the day after mm -hmm. your arrest. Not, not only were the calls immediately from multiple people, even upstate in Columbus, it was also very fervent. It's interesting to me since this has transpired, we look at Larry, you know, Larry Householder, who still has his job. We look at uh, council member P.G. Sittenfeld, who still has his job. And we look at, you know, Jeff Pastor still has their job. Right after I was arrested, the day after, Joe Dieters, and this is, mind you, this is a federal case, not a state case, not a case in the county, but Joe Dieters stuck his nose into my case and basically forced a resignation. He told my, I, w I didn't want to resign. I mean, literally, you know, you're talking about someone who's never been in trouble and I'm really trying, and I, and I still, at that time, I haven't grasped what I had, to what I had done wrong totally. And literally the next day, Joe Dieters, calls my attorney, my attorney, Stephanie Amarty, and he says, you know, we, I can basically convene a grand jury in an hour to bring up charges from the state, which would essentially 
trigger the attorney general of the state of Ohio to remove you. So at that point, literally the day after my case, or excuse me, the day after my arrest, it's either, you know, and, and, and further, he, the charge that he was going to bring forth, he even said that he would later drop it, but it was just for the sole purpose of triggering the attorney general to remove me from office. So at that point, my choice is either be removed or resign. And of course, no one wants to be removed from office. The option that, you know, PG Sittenfeld has gotten to be suspended with pay, the option that Jeff Pastor to be suspended with pay was never offered to me. It was, you know, resign or else. Not to mention the calls from, uh, you know, from other members of council, but everybody, you know, there's a very clear divide. There's a very clear difference. And on its, you know, everybody, I want to make sure I say that everybody is given the presumption of innocence. And I want to extend that to everyone, regardless of what their position is in life. However, the day after, here we are, I don't know, I think Jeff is a month after his, maybe PG's two weeks. No one has forced them to resign. That's very, um, I want to make sure that people understand that stark difference. The day after, you know, someone, you talk about somebody who had financial woes and money woes, there wasn't a grasp for power. I wasn't asking for, you know, a position. I wasn't doing, you know, I was literally trying to create, have a loan, which again, I now understand was wrong, but there was no, you know, trying to, you know, get a better outcome for me. There wasn't a presumption of innocence. He had the mayor calling for my, um, you know, uh, for my resignation. He had the attorney general of the state of Ohio sending quotes about my resignation. He had Joe Dieters from the county, which again, this is a federal case, why he felt the need to stick his nose into my case, but hasn't done so in the other cases is beyond me. And I want to make sure that's um, uh, understood. So, you know, would I resign eventually? Maybe, because the last thing I want to do is create a distraction, but you talk about a $15,000 case, you talk about the hundreds of thousands of dollars and the tens of thousands of dollars in the other situations, like literally the day after, there's a big difference in the cases. And one of those differences is how I've been treated. So you feel it was improper for the prosecutor to, to do that? Absolutely. I mean, he literally said, I will bring it forth the charge that a letter will be dropped. But this chart, the, it was like maybe 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, I can convene a grand jury in an hour, which will make it 11 o'clock. To bring, because you literally, there's a saying that says you can indict a ham sandwich. Once that indictment comes down, that triggers the attorney general of the state of Ohio to remove me from office. At that point, had a choice to either be removed from office or to resign from office. And again, you're talking about the day after someone who's never done any, you know, never been arrested, and you know, literally trying to process, you know, my job. So the fact that literally the day after resigned, I don't have any support. You know, I don't have any income coming in. I don't have health insurance. And why, why, why is it that I had to resign and be cut off from support? But people who have been accused of more egregious things are still collecting money from this, from the government. They're still collecting their health insurance. And there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And I wanted people to know that because one thing about being in this case, I've had to keep my head down and be quiet until you know, this is over, but essentially people, the, the people in Cincinnati need to know how I was treated and across the state. Judge Delot uh, made it a point uh, to Maya to state that she gave more thought to your case and what an appropriate sentence should be than any case in her 25 years on the federal bench. And, and you and your lawyers made a case that day for home incarceration um, and we, we don't know what your reaction to the sentence is uh, until now. So uh, I want to I want to ask you, what would you say about the judge's uh, decision? Uh, how, how would you characterize? One thing I'll, I'll echo my attorney in saying that I don't know Judge Delight personally. I actually, actually never met her before. But from what I hear and what I understand about her is that I know that the sentence that she gave me was not politically 
motivated. She gave me what she thought was fair, and I have to um, respect that. We asked Joe, Joe Mallory for comment the day of your sentence, uh, as I think I indicated to you, and he, he said, I believe in redemption. I think everybody should. There are people, you know, who believe um, out there in the community in, in retribution towards you rather than redemption. You know that, of course, you know, the way we, the way our society is, there's a lot of people who have reached out to you and are supporting you as well and uh, feel very uh, strongly in your favor as well. But there are those who think that you should be given, you know, even a greater prison term than, than 18 months. What do you tell the community at this point about Tamaya Denard going forward from here and knowing that ultimately you'll have a year and a half of lost freedom in front of you? You know, one thing you learn about in politics is you're going to have people that are never going to love you no matter what. There are going to people be people who love you no matter what, and there are people that you can convince to love you, and that's the essence of campaigning. You spend the most time with the people that are willing to be or can be convinced. Since I've been in council, I've been a very outspoken person. Um, people who get to know me know that I'm a kind person, but they've taken my outspoken nature and uh, so for speaking up for people as uh, calling me, you know, racist or... Uh, all kinds of names that I won't go into on, on, on television. So one thing you do is you, you, you muster up a thick skin. You don't go into this uh, realm without having a thick skin. And, you know, I recognize that there are people who are not going to like me no matter what, or people who want my head on a platter. But I have, you know, for the 41 years I've been on this earth and um, people who know me and, and you made a note of, you know, things that people will never know about me, things that I've done that, you know, even on council or even before I got to council that people will never know. And, you know, I, I stand by my service. I stand by the things I've done. I made a mistake. And if people um, are willing to throw away uh, my whole uh, act of service to the city of Cincinnati for one mistake, you know, I can't do anything about that. But the people who believe in redemption, the people who believe in restorative justice, they understand that, you know, every single person is a decision away, um, a bad choice away, um, you know, a, a, an unfortunate uh, step away from, you know, changing their lives. And I made a mistake that I have to live with for the rest of my life, regardless of, you know, how much time I spend in prison. Prison to me, it's it's a means to an end. I mean, I, regardless, if I, if I got home incarceration, if I got probation, for me, you know, the mistake that I've made and, and the how hard I am on myself um, for letting people down will be with me forever. So prison doesn't change, you know, that, you know, or, or make me feel like um, what I've done is good or bad because it's just, it's something that I guess, you know, a formality, but for me, um, how I bounce back, um, what I do while I'm there, because there are things to be done there. There's a lot of women in prison who are broken. There are people who need help. If you look at statistics of, of women in prison, the women's population of prison has increased substantially. There are people, over 70% of women who go into prison are experience abuse. 80% uh, of people in uh, mothers and uh, women in prison are mothers. There's work to be done there. So, you know, I'm not by any, I don't, I can't turn off this service button. I can't turn off helping people. Um, this is just another channel or avenue that I have to serve and I'm going to make sure I do it and do it well. And, and what plans, uh, are, have, you, have you formulated plans for when you are out of prison, which we don't know when that'll be because we don't know exactly when you'll start prison, although I guess March 1st, if, but you know, the coronavirus could uh, uh, delay that, I suppose. Yeah, I know it's the, the coronavirus changes everything. But one thing I've learned is people, I, I have to figure out how to, I have a lot of privilege and I understand what my privilege has been, not just for the past you know two years or three years I've been on council, but 
the privilege I have, you know, with having a college education, the privilege that I have with, you know, growing up with, a, with an amazing mother, the privilege I have growing up in a loving home. So, you know, when I, my, my goal is to continue to leverage that privilege and help people um, to do a lot of different things. One of the things I want to do is teach people how to advocate for themselves. One thing I learned about in government is there are some council members, there are some representatives who are going to listen to you. There are some people who are going to do what they're going to do. But how do I help people organize themselves and learn about the law and, 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 and all this uh, convoluted nature to make sure they understand the laws and impact them? And that's something that I want to, you know, leverage my time on counseling and government to help people um, advocate for themselves. Your legacy um, is tied up now. Your political legacy is tied up in uh, 2020, the year of City Hall corruption. And you can't do anything about that. I mean, no one can. Uh, But I wonder how that weighs with you, because you obviously are someone who cares about your image and how people view you. I mean, I do think that is a genuine thing. And, And I wonder if you have thoughts about if you've thought about that a lot about how that's going to be there uh forever not to weigh you down necessarily but it is something that is just there and whether you have any public message for the former colleagues of yours on council that you served with uh, for three years no i i I don't think about a, a legacy per se my job is just to do good and as long as i continue to do good i can't worry about um what people say or what, you know, what people think. The people who, who know me, um, who I've gotten a chance to know, who've understood my motivation, uh, they know that this, this doesn't change my, my will and my drive to, you know, assist people and, and get people um, where they need to be. So, um, you know, you're right. I can't do anything about, you know, the legacy of, you know, city council in 2020. All I could think about is tomorrow. And the moment I, I focus on, you know, what used to be and not focus on what is, is the moment that I, I failed. And, you know, my grandma said that falling down, you know, failing is not just falling down, it's falling down and staying down. So there's too much work to be done. There's too much inequity in this world. There's too much inequality. And if anything, from my situation, you know, it shows that inequity is, is, a, is a long, we're a long way from where we need to be as a society. So I had to continue to play a role and play a part in getting us there. And I can't, can't worry about the other stuff. Yeah, because I read, you know, your whole letter to, to, to judges a lot, to people to look beyond, you know, the, what you called a horrible mistake, that you were trying for something you never had, which was financial stability, and that you've lost more, you said in that letter, than prison can ever take away from you. And I, I was struck by how you were, you know, if you read down toward the end of the letter, how you, you said that you were called Honest Abe as a kid, because you, you would never take anything, right, that didn't belong to you. Uh, and so reputation is a part of what you have lost, right, to a degree with this. To a degree, I, I have. For people who, again, for people who don't know me, um, but people who know me, the people who, you know, call me honest, hey, the people who know I wouldn't take anything from anybody, who knows that I never have taken anything from anybody, um, you know, I, I have to uh, continue to press forward and, and surround myself with, you know, good people, you know, my reputation is tarnished because of, you know, what happened. But again, I can't, if I sit and sulk about um, when I used to be and not think about what it can be, uh, I'll be in trouble. I think uh, what they used to, my grandma said that used to be don't make honey. And so I have to just kind of keep pressing forward. 
We, uh, I wonder how you how do you keep a good frame of mind uh, through all that you have been through? What is it? That, what are the resources that you uh, draw on, uh, Tamaya? Because we, you know, go ahead. One of the things is that I don't take on. I never have. Even before I got into politics, I never take on what people say about me. I understand that you know, no one's opinion of me matters more than my opinion of myself. And I've I've always been like that because I know how hard I am on myself. The other is perspective. You know, I can look at, you know, the road ahead as, you know, uh, a road of doom, or I can look at it as a, a road of opportunities. Perspective is, it's not what you look at, it's what you see. And so that's really what um, what keeps me going is, is I'm not those things that people have said I am. And I know that I'm not, and I, I can't, I'm not going to take on uh, someone's definition of me. I've never let other people define me. That's, I, you don't get to this point. You don't become the first person in your family to graduate from college. You don't, you know, become a come out, become out of nowhere and become the, you know, the uh, highest um, non-incumbent vote getter at city council by thinking about what people have to say about you. Um, and I and I never have, and I never will. So that's where it comes from. And ultimately, my life and all the things I've gone through, all the th- misfortunes I've had, everything that is uh, everything that the world has shown me is that I'm always going to be okay. And that's the thing I always know, no matter what happens. I'm always going to be okay. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from sixth grade, she messaged me and she reminded me of a story. I told her when we were 12 years old, she asked me, was I afraid to walk home by myself when we lived in College Hill? And I told her, I'm going to be okay. And I've always had this mentality that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. So, you know, 18 months, you know, whatever the time is, I'm going to be just fine. I know I'm going to be just fine. There's nothing anybody can do about it. You can find a link to John's story down in the show notes and on WLWT.com. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albertin. Thanks for listening. We've all seen it. That check engine light in our car. Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast.